I have our family education company, 18 Summers, which our real estate investors and friends funnel into that all the time. So the two are very yin and yang. So retirement at this point doesn't interest me because the how, how I'm actually living the day and the things that I'm working on, how I'm able to show up at the office or not at the office. So that keeps me going. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Jim Shields. Today we're talking about the build to rent strategy. Jim is a highly experienced real estate investor who started 24 years ago in California, but nine years ago shifted to the build to rent strategy. Today we're digging into what the build to rent strategy is, how it works, how they think about doing deals in certain areas, the property classes, how they plan for things like insurance rates changing and cost changing, how they get the benefits of scale by doing a lot of build to rent deals and so much more. Jim is a wealth of knowledge. I'm really excited to share this interview with you today. He shares a lot with us from his time prior to build to rent investing and tough lessons that he learned from that experience that drove him into the build to rent model today. So much great knowledge, some keys in particular for Florida property investors. His business does deals in Florida. I own some property in Florida, as I'm sure many of you listening do today. And there have been some specific changes in the state of Florida that have impacted real estate investing there. And we're going to dig into that today. Don't you worry. We talk about how he and his business have mitigated the changes specifically to property insurance in Florida. Great conversation. You're going to learn a ton. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form, schedule a call, and I will look forward to speaking with you soon. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Once again, our guest today is Jim Shields. Let's go. Jim, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to learn about what you're doing today with Build to Rent. But first, let's go through your background. You have a very impressive track record. Let's start there. Tell us how you got started investing in real estate. Yeah, that started 24 years ago in uh, a little town called Lompoc, California. I made my first offer on a probate sale, three-family home. And I remember the offer got accepted for one fifty-two-five. 2000 in closing costs. And I hyperventilated in the kitchen of my (laughs) rental property because I was scared out of my mind of, oh my gosh, I'm making this commitment. And it all started there. And I went into real estate full-time, starved myself. I had no family or dependents and a lot of drive and just started to get a couple of family and friends that I begged to be my partners on some rehab properties. And they went well, and we started to buy, fix, and resell HUD foreclosures and then hold them as rentals and and then started to build a rental portfolio. And then in about 04, 05, it started to get really crazy in California. And I wanted to leave because of the taxes, the landlord situations. And I uh, ended up going to Jacksonville, Florida. At the time, Jacksonville was the most affordable coastal city in the nation. And those, think about that for a minute, Taylor. Those words don't normally go together. Affordable <laughs> coastal city. And there was still good fundamentals here. Came here, started doing the same, made a lot of mistakes when I first got here that I talk about in my talks and in my next book coming out, but ended up surviving the 08 meltdown, unlike a lot of friends, unfortunately. 
and then started going to bulk foreclosures and bought a lot of foreclosures in the Jacksonville area with my now building partner. And then about nine years ago, we were getting frustrated because the deals weren't there. They were getting bid up. We don't want to cut corners on rehabs. And plus, I was learning something that I we could talk about called the three-year curse on, on my older properties. And we had this thought, what if we could build our own properties for us and investors we work with instead of just looking for old fixer-uppers? And fast forward to today, we have a, a built a nice business. We have over 700 million in properties under asset management for our investors, over 800 investors that we're working with that grows every day, over 2000 properties built through the build to rent system. And we could have never done that and expanded into over a dozen markets in Florida, high growth markets. We could have never done that with the old model. Uh, so we had to hang up our rehab shoes to go into build to rent, but we really fell backwards into it. And, and it's been quite an experience, but definitely my most profitable and the niche I've been the most excited about since I started 24 years ago. Awesome. So before we get too deep into the build to rent strategy, when I speak with folks who have had levels of success exactly like you have, I always like to ask, what keeps you going? Just to flesh that out a little bit more for our listeners, you and I are speaking on a Tuesday evening. It's a beautiful day outside here in Virginia, and I'm sure in Florida where you are, it's a nice day as well. What keeps you going and, and working and not just essentially retiring on all the passive income that you almost certainly have these days? Yeah, it's the how, Taylor. This is something I've been having a lot of conversations with my wife, with other people. How am I continuing to work? I spend a ton of time with my family unapologetically. If that wasn't the case, then I probably would retire. I'm able to be in Costa Rica three, four months out of the year. So the how right? How am I doing? I'm still working and playing from Costa Rica, a place we love. Uh, I'm, I'm able to walk across the street and, and go surfing or paddle boarding almost every morning. So the reason I'm not is because the how, and, and I want to continue to impact. We have five children. We're involved in a lot of different causes. I love adventure. So even with a passive income, we talk about in our passive income playbook, how did we get over 40,000 a month in, in that income and then build a rent business with our partner? It's the how. And I have a great partnership and it works for how much he wants to work and how much I want to work. We have a team of 170. If I'm not able to spend time with my family, keep up with my health, take the adventures, then I'm going to retire. But also I've heard these things about people retiring and getting bored, getting sloppy, getting old quick. So it can go both ways. There's a part where you're like, gosh, I want to work. I want to get this work out of the way so I can retire. And then you're like, well, I'm enjoying some of the work more. And plus, I have our family education company, 18 Summers, which our real estate investors and friends funnel into that all the time. So the two are very yin and yang. So retirement at this point doesn't interest me because the how, how I'm actually living the day, the things that I'm working on, how I'm able to show up at the office or not at the office. So that keeps me going. Awesome. I love that. Very inspiring. So let's dive into build to rent. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is... How in the world are you able to make these deals work with just the cost of construction? I mean, you got to build, you got to get cash flow on the back end, takes all this money to build a property and all this time to get it up. So, how do you make that work considering the cost of construction? Yeah. I mean, well, it was a lot easier eight, nine years ago, well before the pandemic, where it was pretty flat and this inflationary effect has been tricky. No doubt about it, Taylor. However, we always try to go to high growth markets. We're only focused in Florida because we believe in the fundamentals here. We believe in landlord laws here, which are super important when you're in investing. You got to be able to collect your rent. 
So I'd look at landlord friendly states wherever you're going. But what we figured is when you're going to areas that have population growth, economic growth, a good affordability index, healthy supply and demand levels, and something desirable drawing them there, normally values and rents are going to increase. And that's what we're seeing. So even here in Florida, where it's gone up quite a good amount, we're still $250,000 below in our medium values and rents than other areas. Like we have a lot of investors out of California or a quarter million dollars below Salt Lake City or Boise, Idaho, or areas that people were coming out of California to invest. So that helps that we're still in an affordable range and the rents are, have still gone up. And then on the construction side, we've gotten to a point of capacity. We're not doing, I, I would feel, we, we got it in a good time where we started to start, you know, learned lessons, failed forward, you know, but we're only doing a few properties, you know, now we're COing properties every day, certificate of occupancy, meaning they're finishing. And we have over 6,000 lots right now that we're building in our pipeline. So we have a capacity, not to the national home builder, but volume has some privilege. So we've got a whole team now set in place. We have, you know, relationships with suppliers and with tradesmen that we get better pricing. And that's been super helpful. We all struggled through the pandemic, especially in the inflationary, but now we're starting to see a settling in materials and in, in what people are charging. So that's how we make it worth kind of doing that volume play. Okay. So when you think about property class, right? So personally, I invest in B-class value-add multifamily. We may get into build to rent down the road, but for your model, is it all like A-plus class, the nicest finishes? How do you think about the, the quality of the property and the ability to get the rents that you're targeting and make all the numbers work? Yeah. We do all residential right now, single family duplexes and quads. That's a nice array. You can get the great Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac financing for our investors or for ourselves. The cash flow numbers work. They're in demand, these low density properties. And we could definitely sell many of these retail. We sell some of our single family homes and duplexes retail, but we try to do those extra finishes that most builders would include in a starter hole, vital plank flooring, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, tile, master bathrooms, those kind of things would be considered upgrades for most builders selling retail. We include those for our investors because we know it's going to help with rentability today and resaleability down the road. Also durability, uh, which is pretty important with your rentals. So I would say that there are A properties in B plus areas. That's kind of what I've always considered. Uh, and we like to go, we do some where it's, we'll build out whole communities for family offices or some large institutions. But for our, for a lot of our investors out there, our individual investors, we're building infill lots. So it's an established neighborhood with good fundamentals. I was always taught when I first went into this, try to go into a neighborhood that is both a good mixture of renters and owners. That's for overall quality. If you're an all in we're all rental area. It's tougher neighborhoods, not as good of values, more turnover. So most of the places we build, there's a good presence already of, of a lot of owner-occupied homes. Okay. So when it comes to scalability, one of the things that everybody likes is repeatability. And in the build-to-rent model, I would imagine that the building plans and engineering and all those things could represent a pretty significant cost unless you find a way to repeat those and kind of rinse and repeat from one to the other. How have you baked that into the business model? Like, how do you think about planning and engineering? Like, because there's so many 
buildings, you don't want to be starting from the ground up, no pun intended, with the designs over and over again. Or do you? I don't know. No, we we have our go-to designs for our areas. So like Southwest Florida has different building demands for hurricane safety, for aesthetics. So we have our couple of go-to plans for our single families, for our duplexes, and for our quads. Same thing for, for Jacksonville, Ocala, the different areas. So the nice thing about what we do is when you're doing the retail sales or, or being a retail builder, you're having to give a ton of different plans. You're having to allow them to pick upgrades. We learned a long time ago what the volume we're doing, and, and we know the tenant's mindset and success is better than our people would. So they let us do that work. We pick all the upgrades. They're coming to us for our expertise, and they're looking more at the, the yields and the numbers. So by doing that, we're simplified to a few floor plans and styles for each area. And we've been able to tweak over the last decade, which ones really work and which ones don't. And we're constantly looking. Okay. So in, on the vein of what works and what doesn't, is there anything that kind of has stuck out that either didn't work or on the other side of that, that really did work that you had to like keep, make sure you kept in there and keep repeating? Quads are kind of a unicorn, hmm. Taylor. You know what I mean? They're just, they're harder to get approved. There's not a ton of them built. I mean, national home builders don't build duplexes and quads. They got no interest. It's like, what? No, we don't want to do that. We want big, expensive homes or bigger homes where there's more expensive upgrades. That's where we make our money. So we could see that duplexes and, and definitely the quads were just not really available out there and nor were people willing or builders taking the time to get them approved. And that's a process. So we've seen that the quads have been in high demand. And so we've been supplying those in areas of rental shortages. I'd say the ones that don't work. When I moved from California to Jacksonville way back when in 0405, Taylor, you do deals and you think you're the senior, right? And you go to a new market, you're the freshman again. <laughs> I got into a bunch of houses in worse areas than I knew, in worse conditions than I understood, with rents that were promised that I didn't get. And buying this group of houses, it cost me money for a decade. I had to hold these through the meltdown and you know the rents went down and the deferred maintenance only got worse and the turnover. And it was a big lesson to me. Back in the day, it was how many properties could you own? Once you had, we're in the 100 house club, you were set. And I way past that. But what I found was if it's a, it gets even worse if you pass that and the properties are bleeding, there's deferred maintenance and lots of turnover. And so what I got clear on was it's those houses were my worst situation, Taylor. And they were a 10 year ache and pain for me before I could sell out. So did that come down to, I mean, it was the negative cash flow, but did that really come down to, the area where the property was and not having, not really understanding the area that you were getting into at the time? The, the negative cash flow, if it was just the, 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 the PITI is this mm. and the rents are this, could have handled that. What it was is this is why we only do new construction. I learned that deferred maintenance is a pretty hefty bill and it always comes at the wrong times. <laughs> and then when you times that by a lot of properties, that's a big bill coming up. Not only that, but I found in these types of properties, the turnover was worse. So, you know, with turnover, not only are you paying a mortgage on a vacant property, but each time you turn a property, that got really expensive, especially if they weren't being left in good condition and they were not. So I wanted to go to a little higher caliber neighborhood with gentler tenants and that turned over less. But again, my biggest lesson from that was if I can go back 24 years, I'd own less property of better quality 
with less leverage. That's it. Because I did what I had to do back then. Oh, 95% loan, I'll take it. And did what I had to do. But now it's like, I would have been better off incrementally going into properties that were going to hold that had better condition, better fundamentals. It wasn't about the numbers, about the quality. Because I can tell you now, I own less property now, way less properties personally than I did 12 years ago. But my equity and my cash flow is way higher. What does that tell you? And that's kind of why we stick to build the rent. We figure with our clients, our most successful clients normally buy three to eight properties. In those three to eight properties, the fundamentals we've seen, the case studies over the last nine years with our results is they work way better than some of these smaller fixer uppers could if you bought 20, 30 of them. So that speaks volumes to what we're doing and the results we're getting. Nice. Okay. So as far as changes in the market in Florida or things in Florida generally, I want to also talk about property insurance. I own some property in Florida and our insurance has gone up pretty considerably over the last few years. Yeah. And I think that's the same for a lot of folks. How have you and your business and your investors, everybody handled increasing insurance costs over the last few years? Yeah. Well, a, a couple of things we learned. I'm not sure exactly where your properties are or what year they are, but you know, let's take our Southwest Florida area. We, we are building hundreds of properties in Southwest Florida, the greater Fort Myers area, up to Punta Gorda, out to Lehigh Acres, down to Cape Coral, several submarkets there. A couple of interesting things. Insurance has gone up in Florida, but it's also varied by area and by age of the home. So where people say, oh, in Southwest Florida, definitely gone up more, but Ocala or inland markets there or inland areas of Jacksonville, it hasn't been anywhere close to as bad. And couple that with new construction. And this is something that's a really important thing for people to understand, any of us, Taylor. I didn't understand the importance of it at first. And that is you get rewarded for new construction. And I'll tell you why. In 2004, Hurricane Charlie hit Punta Gorda, Florida. It was like a hurricane. It was about a category four, decimated the area. My dad had a cousin there, awful situation. After that, the government said, we're changing the rules. We're changing the rules. And you got to build on higher ground and you got to build with stronger structural design and materials. Well, it worked. When this last hurricane hit, Hurricane Ian hit, unfortunately, downtown Fort Myers was decimated. But that was a lot of properties built in the 40s and 50s. And some of these properties are at two to three feet above sea level. Our new construction is required to be normally at 13, 14 feet above sea level. You got to bring in a lot of dirt which is expensive and it's, it's annoying. <laughs> Me and my building partner, we were a little crabby and grumpy about it. It's like, but when your parents used to say, you're going to don't, you know, wear your seatbelt, wear your seatbelt, wear your seatbelt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get in that first fender bender and it's pretty scary because you get thrown or an accident and you're like, man, I'm glad I had my seatbelt on. That's how we felt about this last hurricane that came through. Because again, we had 278 projects or so going on there. We had four that required insurance claims, only four. And those four properties, all it was freestanding walls. We had only been able to put up the walls. We hadn't been able to tie on the roof, which really gives it that protection. So the wind knocked over these freestanding walls, but we had no flooding. And flooding causes the most insurance, most insurance damage and cost for insurance companies. When they look at a house built in the 50s and 60s at three feet above sea level, opposed to one of our new construction at 13, 14 feet, built with the stronger fasteners with wind resistance and above flooding, we get a better treatment. What you want to look at is that's an important thing to know. 
if you are buying an older property on lower lying grounds, your insurance is going to be higher, even if it's not in a flood zone. And the newer construction, since the way it has to be built to standard today, they give you a, a break for that. So it depends on the property. Yes, insurance has gone up, but again, I'm very glad we're doing new construction because it is rewarded. Not only that, something important for you to know is if you are, the insurance gives you kind of a break if you're at least five miles inland. And although we're in coastal areas, a lot of our projects are built at least five miles inland from the coast, which again, they see as a, a lower risk analysis and you get rewarded on your actual insurance premiums. Interesting. Okay. So, wow, there's a lot there and plenty that I certainly did not know. So for investors out there that are thinking about getting into build to rent, due diligence is important. We talked about it. You just told us about a few things when it comes to insurance, but as far as say market analysis, which we touched on earlier with your experience or other matters that folks should look into if they're thinking about getting into build to rent investing. What do you recommend from a due diligence standpoint that people should look into? Well, our investors don't always listen to this, but <laughs> we love it. Come visit. I'm an in the trenches guy. So I like to visit one day in the field. You can see so much. So if you're interested in buying properties wherever, I encourage you to go look at it. We have a pretty good reputation and a lot of referrals where people are like, no, I don't have time. I'm in California. But I think going to see it up close and personally, you'll feel better. You'll understand it. You'll meet the team. I like to do that. Uh, I also, you have to look at track record and financial grounding. I hear about a lot of builders going broke and that can be a scary thing. So what is the solvency of the building company? Do they have a healthy balance sheet? I'm proud to say that's one thing that helps us get a lot of business. When we were acquired a piece of our company by Sumitomo, well, you got to have really good books for a 330-year-old Japanese company and good reserves to partner with you. So that's been good. And you want to look for those kind of things with whatever builder you're working with. Are they healthy? Can they finish the build? Because we saw some pretty bad things happen through the pandemic. Also, have they done this before? I say you can get a great deal from any builder with integrity out there, most likely. But if they've done less than 500 build-to-rent properties, they're still in the figuring it out phase. You know what I mean? We're at over 2,000 now, and, and I feel like we're just hitting stride. So it's how much have they done? Are they invested in the areas themselves? How's their financial overall positioning? These are important questions to ask. And what kind of neighborhoods do they build it? One thing that I highly discourage is, I think it's an absolute shame as you were talking about to build in A or B plus quality property in a D neighborhood. That's a really bad strategy for overall resaleability for less turnover. I think if you're building an A or B property, you want to stay in those areas as well with where you place the property. Nice. Okay. Awesome. All great ideas. Before we go to the three questions I ask every guest in this show, you had mentioned earlier, was it the three-year rule? We're kind of a little far away from that, but I want to make sure. Well, three-year curse. Three yeah, that's kind of something. Well, we did a ton of bulk foreclosures, Taylor, and you would do them in houses from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and you'd get into them, you'd do a new roof, new heating and cooling, new plumbing, update kitchens. And I don't know why, but it seemed that about at the three-year mark, and I've talked to lots of investors, just get ready to up your budgets for maintenance and repairs. There's just more wear and tear. They don't last as long. And it just seemed after three years, they're just, even with doing all that, they would be more maintenance and repairs. And then with that, more turnover. And when we went into the new construction, it wasn't until we had done a ton of new construction and started to compare the history of the two, we could see the new construction, the three-year curse didn't come. And we're nine years in on this. So that was really encouraging. 
that again, I own old houses. I'm not saying they're bad. Just be prepared to, to budget a higher maintenance and repair because it seems after a few years, they do take a little more of a hurry. So interesting. Makes sense. I've owned properties from the 60s, but not any earlier than the 60s. And I certainly prefer to own newer properties these days. Been a change in a strategy and makes a lot of sense there. Love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Are you looking for a way to easily track your rental property finances? Check out Stessa. Stessa makes managing real estate investments simple. You can easily keep track of the performance, finances, and the paper trail of your rental properties. Our listeners can get started for free and then upgrade at any time to unlock their more advanced tools. And the even better news is that the upgrade is very affordable and will not break your bank. Smart investors know that tracking the numbers, tracking the money, tracking the finances is what really drives your success. Check out Stessa. It'll make your property finances easier. Just go to escapingwallstreet.com, scroll down to the Stessa logo, and get started for free. Now back to the show. All right, Jim, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? My family life or the build to rent spaces done me the most justice financially. Nice. So we had the best investment or best investments. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Those properties I first bought in Jacksonville, Florida, a whole group of them in the wrong areas in the wrong condition at the wrong time. Mm. Yeah. Sounds like a tough experience. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? In business, it's play to your strengths, not your weaknesses. You have unique abilities, go really deep into those and delegate the rest or team up on the rest. And that's really accelerated and helped buy back my time and triple my results by being honest about what I'm good at and what I'm not and finding partners and teammates to, to fill in the rest. And then what I said to you before, if I went back, I'd own less property of better quality with uh, less leverage. And and that's where I'm at now. So that's been a big lesson. Nice. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge, all these lessons. If folks want to reach out, if they want to learn more about what you're up to or anything like that, if they want to find your book, which will be out in a few weeks once this uh, episode goes live, anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah, you'll be able to find our new book, The Passive Income Playbook, Barnes and Nobles and on Amazon. And uh, if you want to learn more about the book and kind of our overall strategy, you can go to jjplaybook.com. It was something my wife and I wrote about our 24-year journey into passive income, the different niches we did and why Build to Rent has really bought back our time for us and our clients and, and how you can you know, leverage that into a better life. Awesome. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining us once again. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.